Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. I am back yet again, uh, this time with another person from far away, but who's close at the same time, which is one of the beauties of the time in which we live. She is Jillian, not Gillian Thompson. I was confused up until a few minutes ago. And we met through conversations on LinkedIn, if I remember correctly. And I was caught by Jillian's focus on the human side of leadership which is often misnomered soft skills, which I, I hate that. I think of them as necessary skills. They're not soft or hard. They're just real. Anyhow, so I've asked Julian to tell us how she got here with my usual um, savoir-faire. So would you take it away, Julian? Tell us about your road to this point. Please. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's an interesting question you ask because actually the way I answer it now is probably a bit different to how I might have answered it this time, even last year. Because yeah. um, so, when you speak about the soft skills, one of those is around vulnerability. So I share a lot more when, I, when people ask me my story now, I share a lot more. Um, so I guess me as a person, uh, I grew up very much a perfectionist and a high achiever. Um, so I always did well at school. I did well at university. Um, I always thought that was due to the tests that we had to do at school when I was uh, in my first four years of school, where there were eight people in my year group and we had a test every Friday and where you sat the next week was determined by where you scored in the test. So if you were in the top four of the class, you got to sit at the desk furthest away from the teacher. And if you were at the bottom four of the class, you had to sit at the desk closest to the teacher. So needless to say, everyone always wanted to be in the top four of the class. And up until fairly recently, I thought that that was what drove my perfectionism and my kind of high achievement drive. Um, and actually, what I've more recently discovered is that it was probably more down to the relationship that I had with my dad, who was a narcissist. And actually, it wasn't the fear of sitting at the table for closest to the teacher that I was worried about. It was what if I had to go home and tell my dad I was on the bottom table. Okay. Yeah. And so I spent most of my childhood and even most of my adult life um, trying to make him proud, trying not to get on his bad side. Um, and whilst it's um, meant that I am a bit of a perfectionist, uh, which in, and it has been a gift in some extent because it's meant that I've achieved well at school, I did well at university and subsequently got onto a great graduate program with Mars, the confectionery company. Um, and started my career from there. So I studied as an engineer originally, um, and I uh, worked uh, in a whiskey bottling plant doing maintenance. Uh, I worked in manufacturing engineering for Mars as well. But Mars is one of these organizations that really values breadth in people. So they move you around to different functions. So I did a few different placements in different areas for Mars and then ended up in HR, human resources. Um, did a few different roles, different kind of types of human resources uh, with Mars, and then I moved to the financial services industry. 
I only stayed there for a couple of years. I joined in 2007 and the credit crunch hit in 2008. <laughs> and um, I essentially spent most of that year making people redundant. Um, and it was the first time I would say in my career that my values were really tested and I really got a sense of what it means to be out of alignment with your personal values and the organizational values that you're in. Um, because the way it was done, in my view, wasn't done in a way where people were treated with dignity and, and respect. And I, and I felt it could have been done in a, in a more human way, to, to use your words. Yeah. Um, so I left there and I went to work for Centrica, um, utilities and uh, energy company, as their group head of talent. So I looked after uh, talent management and succession planning for the senior team. Um, for a few years there before moving to head of HR role where I looked after HR for all the British Gas contact centres. Um, so some senior HR roles before I then moved uh, to have my biggest challenge was just having my baby. <laughs> and after I'd had my son, I uh, set up business on my own. Um, and now what I do is leadership coaching. I run a community called the Heart Centered Leaders Community with my business partner, David. Um, and I work with leaders, primarily female leaders, I would say, in, uh, um, who are in a male dominated environment and maybe struggling to be that version of themselves that they want to be at work because they feel like they have to put on a facade um, in order to be successful. And that brings us pretty much to where we are just now. That was fabulous. Um, in fact, I could I could just hear that again and again for the for the uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, several things which struck me one, and I'd forgotten about this, um, is that you work for Mars. Mm. And um, I think I told you that when I was a yacht charter captain, I was featured on their brochure for their new Mars digital radar. Mm. Uh, I was I was on the top of a mast of a boat. With a with a wrench and screwdriver putting in their 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 radar system, Amazing. and I, I was on the boat by myself, and then all the photographers and the cinematographers and all those on their fancy yacht with like hot coffee and stuff, they all left, and I was out there. It took me like four hours to get back in this incredible thunderstorm all by myself, <laughs> but it was fun. Um, you didn't even have a Mars bar. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had forgotten a Mars bar which is stupider. I should have had it in my hand if I thought. A couple of things. Number one, your, your disconnection with your values and your task, if I can put it that way, um, I think is, is, is critical for, it is for me too. Yeah. And I suspect that lots of people feel that. And I think it's corrosive. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and I think there are, are there are organisations where there's a disconnect, but it's maybe not through due to like a corrosive culture. It's maybe just there is a disconnect in values and the things that are important. But more often than not, where you find this is where there is a, a poor culture in the organisation, where it's maybe more of a blame or bullying culture, command and control, and not the more, um, I guess, authentic, heart-centred leadership that, um, that certainly I'm striving to help people achieve. That's what I, that's what I have fallen into in, in my work. Too. I didn't know that that's what I wanted 
what I really was getting ready to do all my life, but I would, I would never do anything else. And, and we know from research, as well as from our own experience and, and common sense, that when, when people are committed from the heart and from their soul, and from their mind, you know, everything's committed to what they're doing, we know that they work harder. <laughs> There's actually some research that I was um, uh, looking at just the other day, and um, it showed that, so um, it looked at kind of modern leadership versus traditional leadership. So if you think traditional leadership, that kind of command and control, telling people what to do, very hierarchical um, versus the more modern heart-centered leadership where it's much more around empowerment, vulnerability, um, collaboration, um, trust, etc. And I've just pulled the stats up here so I can get them right, but the, the research showed that um, where you had a more modern leadership style, you had a 55% greater chance of having a more positive employee experience. And that in turn led to a 40% greater chance of increased engagement. Or engagement was up 40%. But not only that, that burnout was down 57% and revenue was up 81%. Um, Hello. So while, whilst it may seem soft and fluffy approach to leadership or like soft skills, like you say, actually there is a real, and research is starting to show that that, type of heart-centered leadership really makes a difference not just to how people feel but also to the bottom line and i think i think part of of what we can do and i see more and more people on sites like linkedin who are, who are starting to shift their focus part of what i think we can do is 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 we can establish a new dictionary for this conversation you know, we can we can lose soft skills. <laughs> we just take take that right off the table because as soon as you say that, people go, "Oh, touchy feely." You know? And it it's about getting work done. Yeah. And not only getting work done, but surviving <laughs> surviving the experience. I mean, I remember when I first read the Gallup poll. This was a while ago, and something like eighty four percent of employees self identified as checked out. Yeah. They were they were just getting their ticket punched. Yeah. And that's scary. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I've just come off a conversation, a webinar with uh, where we're talking about vulnerability. And as a leader, that can be something that's quite scary. But actually, if you are a bit vulnerable, if you're able to share some of yourself, if you're uh, able to um, admit when you need help or when you've not got it right, if you're able to um, share decision-making responsibility with the team and let go of some of that stuff, then you have a much greater connection with the people that work for you. And it's that that drives them to want to get out of bed in the morning and do well for you because they feel connected to you. They feel connected to the team that you're building, the purpose that you've got, etc. And where you have the command and control and the tell, it's just a big stick. That is where you get the, well, I'm just going to do what I need to do and get out. There was a writer named Pete McCarthy. Uh, he was a wonderful writer, and he was a radio personality in the UK for years. He, he uh, drank himself to death pretty young. But he, mm -hmm. said, said, he said that uh, when he was a boy, he went to a Christian Brothers school. And he said, Christian Brothers school operates on the principle of the carrot and the stick. 
but without the carrot. Do you think that, because I do, um, so, so I guess I, I already skewed your answer, didn't I? That, that this has to do with gender, at least partially. Mm. That's a great question. Um, I would say not exclusively, um, but I, I guess females tend to more naturally have some of the traits that we would associate with a heart-centered leader. Yep. Um, I think what it has more to do with is a leadership culture that has come from years and years and years gone by. Um, where it was hierarchical, where it was based on tell, tell me what to do and I'll jump how high and um, or you'll be, um, not so much you'll be out because in the, I guess in those days you had more of a, a job for life, but there was very little, I guess, measurement around performance, measurement around engagement, understanding of the difference that it makes. And I honestly think, so I don't think male or female people come to work wanting to be a bad leader. I think they often end up in leadership positions because they have been very good technically. Um, but then they're not given the support necessarily to develop those skills that would make them a really great leader. And they still feel, okay, I've been promoted because I was really good technically, so I should have all the answers. So therefore I should just tell everybody what to do because I'm the one with all the answers and they've shown that to me by promoting me rather than nurturing this much more um, collaborative, vulnerable, sharing, um, helping get the best out of others environment. I would agree. I, I uh, try to differentiate between leadership and management. I mean, we need both, obviously. But I think what you said about people being promoted, I think what I heard, because of technical expertise and because they've been there long enough to be part of the Borg, you know, they've, they've, they've uh, swallowed the Kool-Aid, yeah. more or less. And I'm being sarcastic, but uh, you get what I'm after. What we know more about now is that if, if you're talking about an assembly line, where I, I say, okay, you're our new employee, Ms. Thompson. Your job is to do X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, excuse me. And, <laughs> and you do it 327 times a day. And every time over 327, you get some kind of bonus. The sort of a, the top-down hierarchical, do what you're told. If I want your opinion, I won't ask for it. Mm. That we know didn't work that well a hundred years ago, but we're sure that it doesn't work now. And what you said about vulnerability, I think that's one of those words for men, especially probably for women too, but for a men, especially what I discovered and it took a long time was that being vulnerable is actually a sign of courage and strength. Absolutely. It's not a sign of weakness and people aren't stupid. Yeah. So when you're always defensive and you're always protecting yourself, people know, even if it's just intuitively, that you're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great um, Brene Brown quote, um, which I won't quote correctly here, but it talks about the, um, the root of the word of courage. So it comes from the word, the Latin word core, 
um, and when you put it together, it, it means something like to speak all from one's heart or something like that. Yeah. So rather than the kind of the meaning that we ascribe to it these days of heroism and doing something amazing, actually it's about sharing from your heart uh, and being vulnerable is where it really comes from, which, yeah, I love that quote. <laughs> That's a sort of quiet, small courage, which we all have access to. You don't have to run into a burning building and like save somebody's kittens to be brave. Wow. <laughs> telling your truth in a board meeting, even if it's a small truth, like yeah. I'm not comfortable with where we're going right now, y'all. That's the kind of courage which is accessible and learnable. And, and needed. Yeah. yeah. So that you don't have these um, board meetings where everybody just agrees and everybody oh. challenges anything. And yeah. And that's what drives some of the biggest kind of corporate disasters, I think, in recent years. Are you seeing a shift? Are you seeing evidence, um, even if it's just qualitative? And I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, so I love qualitative data. I think that's, that's where we're headed to with any luck. Yeah. Um, do you see any qualitative evidence that, that there are some cracks in the assembly line mindset and that, there are people who are going, hmm, that works better, eh? Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll try it. Yeah, myself and my um, business partner, David, we've, uh, as part of launching the Heart Centered Leaders community, and then um, on an ongoing basis, we've interviewed probably over 100 leaders now about what makes great leaders and what makes not so great leaders and, uh, and the things that have worked for them. Um, and overwhelmingly, it's the, 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 the not so great leaders are the, the micromanagers, the ones that say one thing and do another, that aren't being authentic, that are um, command and control, creating a culture where people feel they have to cover their back um, because they're going to get blamed if they make a mistake. Um, those kinds of things and then the ones that people consider great leaders are the ones that are empowering inspiring connected um, vulnerable empathetic all those heart-centered qualities um, all this all the modern yeah the, the stuff that we need from modern leaders um, and so certainly from a qualitative perspective that's definitely happening and then I think the statistics that I um, shared with you earlier I think are showing actually it's not just uh, qualitative it's all there's also numbers behind it as well now inch by inch right and little steps <laughs> yeah which is fine uh, I don't you know part of being vulnerable I at least for me is to be okay with little steps and to be deeply invested in those little steps as you say from the heart-centered steps yeah and I I am seeing where I live what I think is a real hunger for community <clears throat> you know people whom I meet when I walk because we live in fairly open space, so I can, I can walk without putting my life at risk. Um, <clears throat> people want to stop and talk. Yeah. And these are people who I only knew their cars before, because I'd wave when they drove by on their way to work. So now, oh, yes. now we stop 
and oh, how's your dog? Because I, I remember your dog had a blah, blah. oh, she's fine, blah, blah blah. And we actually connect and and look forward to that. And perhaps in the world of commerce, that same that same hunger is starting to to show up. I'm seeing it in my work. Work has slowed way down, but I, I'm still doing leadership work. And I'm seeing, even though we're doing it online, I'm seeing people actually connecting more um, genuinely, even though most of my clients have very strict um, systems that protect people's identity. So they don't have cameras on their computers. So I don't even get to see them. All I have is all I have is a little list of names <laughs> on the side, but they can't wait to share and talk. Completely human. So when we were in caves, if you weren't connected with the rest of your tribe, then and you were cast out, you were more likely to be eaten by lions. So this desire to be connected to our community, to be connected to those around us, is is built in within us, and. Um, and then because we're in this environment where we've not been getting it in the workspace or at schools or universities or things like that, then people are looking for it elsewhere. And maybe without being, you know, we are the world, you know, kind of. <laughs> um, though I am, I'm a child of the sixties. So I'm still an idealist and it's just, I gave up <laughs> trying to be cynical because it just doesn't stick. Maybe this, tsunami this tidal wave this however you want whatever you know whatever metaphor works maybe this will wash away some of the crap that has prevented us from showing up with our default setting of wonder connection mm -hmm. a childlike sense of that would be why don't we try that as you said earlier, we can start to leave behind this paralyzing fear of making a mistake. And it's about being authentic, I think. So I think one of the things that um, recent months have done, it has, we've often seen colleagues, perhaps not in your case where you can't see the cameras, but um, call it, we've seen colleagues in their homes. We're seeing okay. children running behind them, pets. We're seeing seeing them in a different environment that we're not used to. And it's enabled some of the scales, some of that facade to come off, I think, which means that we can connect more closely with people. And it's, it's this extraordinary um, <clears throat> shift in what's coming into our brains. Um, it just came to me the other day that when you can see everyone on the screen, yourself, while you're talking, you see yourself, which you <laughs> used to do. Not only that, but unless you change your video function to mirror, you're seeing yourself as you've never seen yourself before. Because you're seeing your face as other people see it, not the face in the mirror, which is the only face of yourself you've ever seen in your entire life up to this point. And even stuff like that makes our brain go change, adjust, right? <laughs> and, and all those little adjustments, I think, I hope, are, are helping us move to this new place, like it or not.
You can go there kicking and screaming, or you can go there like a pioneer, but you're going. Yeah. <laughs> you're going. <coughs> Excuse me. We've had a lot of very warm, damp weather here. I feel like I live in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So two questions. Mm-hmm. How do you see your your delivery? And I don't just mean like the medium, but mm-hmm. your your sermon, your message, your content. How do you see that changing as we move through this? That's my first question. And the second question, and you can't—you have to answer them in order. I'm, I'm very, okay. I'm very, I'm very commanding and, and top down. <laughs> <laughs> um, years from now, when you're no longer in your son's life as you are now, you know, there's some distance between you. Mm-hmm. And your son sits down with his children and they say, how, how did your mom handle 2020? We hear it was like really strange. How did she do? What would you like to, your son to say about how you dealt with this? Yeah. <laughs> okay, first question first. Um, what's changing, I think, is certainly in my clients both individual coaching um, engagements and within the heart-centered leaders community and the v movement which is the the vulnerability movement that i've been running um i'm seeing much more of a desire to start to talk about the heart-centered stuff so from a coaching perspective historically people would come with a problem that they needed solved and yep. where I'm getting clients to now is actually, so there's a problem that needs solved and there's an underlying cause for that problem. And there's probably a self-limiting belief that's holding you back. <laughs> and so it's getting a lot deeper. So certainly in my work, and I think I'd be doing this whether or not we were in the current situation, but in my work, it is about encouraging people to get deeper with themselves and yep. understand their own stories and how they got to, like the question you asked me at the start, how they got to where they've got to, um, and what therefore that means in terms of what they share with others and how they are more vulnerable and, and heart-centered and how they work. I love it. Um, second question. <laughs> so when my son was going back to school last week, he said, Mom, I don't want to go back to school because I've been, I've been really enjoying spending so much time with you. <laughs> and so what I hope he remembers of that time is that despite the fact that I was still working and I, I felt like I was juggling a hundred different things, um, I hope that he remembers it as the summer that he got to spend loads of time with mommy and uh, that and one of his favorite summers, not one where oh we weren't allowed to go and play with friends, that we weren't allowed to go and go to the cinema or bowling or our school, <laughs> um, but that he, he remembers that we went back to, um, back to the roots really for a while. Well, you're, you're, your face just lit up when you started at <laughs> your son. Um, there's a very familiar with the work of Ben Zander. No, I'm not. Check him out. Um, he used to be the, the uh, conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. Mm-hmm. Um, he, re- he retired and then they called him back to become the conductor of the new Boston Children's Philharmonic. And he talks about shining eyes. 
And he says, as a conductor, when he looked over the orchestra, first of all, he said, the uh, conductor is the only, the only musician in the orchestra who doesn't make a sound. And he relies for his power on his ability to make other people powerful, which I love. And he says, when I look at the eyes of all the people in the orchestra, if I saw any eyes that weren't shining, I asked myself a question. Who am I being that all their eyes aren't shining? And uh, powerful question. Oh yeah, he's. Uh, check out his stuff. He's he's very very cool. This has been such a pleasure, and I um I want to look into heart centered leadership and the we movement. Is that V movement? V vulnerability. Yeah. It's, I don't know when this is going to go out, but it's a series of five sessions that myself and my colleague Heather are running to help people get more connected with their vulnerability. So we just did the second of five earlier today, but they're all, they've been recorded. So um, if any of your listeners would like to check them out, then um, I'm sure we can post a link in the notes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're both going to be off and running. I will assume that since you have magically created a co-host in myself, that, that I will be able to download the file here. But if I can't, I will get in touch with you and I'll ask that you send it to me so I can mix it down. Good? Mm. Good. Take really good care of yourself. Um, my regards to your son, who uh, clearly means the world and a half to you. And uh, keep on fighting the good fight, right? Yeah, thank you. All right, till then, later on. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.